Rockheads, this is Carl with an update on Music to Code By. On January 4th, 2016, I released the 11th Music to Code By track, Gold. That's right, there are now 11 25-minute tracks, including the original three. And you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.poit.com. Net Rocks, episode 1258, with guest Chris Canal. Recorded Tuesday, January 19th, 2016. Hey, Edinburgh! It's .NET Rocks! Yeah! Unruly Seven, mob, I 7, think. 7,000 naked Scots. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's great to be here in Edinburgh. And uh, we've just uh, done some stuff down in Glasgow. And we're headed up to Aberdeen tomorrow or the next day. So uh, we're having a lot of fun. This is a great country you have here. Yeah, we highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> and the stuff you make, this Scotch stuff. This scotchy, scotchy stuff. Yes. It's just wonderful. Well, anyway, uh, Chris Canal is here. We're going to be talking to him in a bit. But as you probably know, if you've heard these shows before, we do a little bit at the front that we call Better Know a Framework. So roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, what I got is a thing called Milligram, which is a minimalist CSS framework. It's at milligram.github.io. Oh. And I thought it was really cool because, you know, CSS is this daunting, horrible thing that nah. if you're not a not a JavaScript or a web developer, the I'm first time... I'm pretty sure I have a mug that says CSS is awesome. Yeah, but it trolls off the end, doesn't yeah. it? So the first time that you see CSS, you think, wow, that's very cool. And then you see what you can do and all the dials and switches you have and you quickly go, ah! So <laughs> I like this because not only is it... Uh, stripped down, but it has guidance. Like there are tutorials that nice. tell you best practices, and I hate that word, but but uh, tell you how to use it best. And it's very simple and free, and simple and free are good. I love it. That's really cool. I have not seen this before. Yeah, I hadn't either. But you know, like I say, I'm I'm looking for things that are trending recently, right? And this is one of them. So milligram.github.io. Fantastic. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1189, the one we did with Corey House. Yeah. When we talked about React JS in web apps. Curious choice of topic, huh? It is indeed. Uh, and this comment comes from John. Kilmister, I hope I got your name right there, sir. He says, a great show. Really enjoyed listening to Corey. I've been recently using React on an enterprise-level project with ReactJS.net, just using the bits we need. This is only possible due to its modular approach, and we could not have been happier with it. Mm -hmm. I agree that at first it is jarring, and the initial fear of the consequences of mixing HTML and JavaScript, horrors, <laughs> After years of separating concerns, however, after getting over the initial learning curve, it is more natural that previous frameworks and having file per React component models 
make it easier to read, maintain, and easy to find stuff for the whole team. I would encourage everyone to give it a try. Corey talked about looking at separation in different ways and seeing HTML and JavaScript as part of a vertical front-end separation that really made sense, especially after using React. I have seen much talk about CSS decision that you can make with React and can see the argument for using JavaScript in inline styles, which we do most of the time. Hmm. However, recently working with our designers on the team, we've been using BEM, which is Block Element Modifier CSS Methodology. This advocates for not having any cascading styles, but styles based around reusable blocks with child elements and modifiers. This matches perfectly with component-based architecture and creates maintainable blocks of CSS that can be matched the JavaScript code that it separates. Mm. It is also not so much of a leap for everyone, which I find really interesting. Yeah. I mean, decoding just the way you're thinking about putting all this together is challenging. But yeah, it, it, you know what it reminds me of? It's almost VB-ish. CSS compared to VB. There you go. Wow. Well, alongside JavaScript and HTML, right? Because it's the yeah. layout, the back-end codes, all sort of there. And thanks so much for the great podcast. John, we totally agree. I uh, think we need to talk a little bit more about this stuff, including the BEM methodology. I think that's very cool. And mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. Comment there. We read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We eat them like Tic Tacs. And weird. so now, what? Weird. Wow. Tic Tacs. I'm is in that, a weird mood. Is that mood. regional? Is, are there Tic Tacs here? Okay. By the way, I saw on QI, which is a brilliant show, by the way, <laughs> uh, that sugar-free Tic Tacs. Guess how much sugar is in a sugar-free Tic Tac? Uh, how about five milligrams? So, yeah, because it's so little per serving, and the serving is one tic tac, they're effectively they're, they're considered fact, they sugar can free. They say in the United States law <laughs> that they're sugar free. If there was five milligrams of arsenic, would it still be okay? Arsenic free. Uh, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let me therefore introduce Chris Canal. Chris works as platform lead of an enterprise React app, and has 15 years' experience as a full stack senior .NET developer and architect. Welcome, Chris. Hello. Good evening. Chris! Cut out! Uh, you just started me read John's comment there. Do you sort of buy into this? It seems like a very enterprise approach to, to using React. Um, yeah. Um, it does make sense for the component model and things and bundling the CSS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it, uh, this whole this idea with React of the component model basically meaning you're going to have some HTML and some JavaScript and some CSS in any given component. Mm -hmm. When all these years we've been separating those things all this time, I can see why people get agitated about React. Yeah, but it does make sense. Um, you know, don't have the the UI logic uh, separate from your business logic that reacts against that. Um, mm -hmm. It's all in one place. So you can see it. You don't have to go ch chasing around different parts of your app to um, look where the business logic is, where the template is. If that button's pressed, wh what's going to happen there? And, and because it's all encapsulated, it's substantially easier to test. And I think that's exactly what he was saying. It's like, my guys get this because everything related to making this particular piece work is together. Yeah, it's all, it's all there. I think we really ought to start and go back a little bit, rewind by just uh, describing React and what it is, because you know there, people might be confused with reactive framework, which is a totally different thing, mm. and especially reactive framework for JavaScript, you know, totally different thing. Let's just start at the beginning. Tell us about React. Um, the easiest way to sell React is that it's awesome. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for your t-shirts, the React is awesome, and you use it, you'll find it out. Okay. Um, React is just a. Uh, it gives you the view uh, layer in your application, the front page in your um, single page app. Um, it gives you in a declarative uh, way, um, and it makes it easier to write stateful applications in a structured, um, structured style. Um, okay. That should hopefully simplify things. And it's a Facebook technology, isn't it? It is indeed, yes. Yeah, which is interesting. So now when I think of that, I think of frameworks like Angular, you know, in Aurelia, mm-hmm. and sort of draw a line there between what React is compared to a full-blown framework like that. Yeah, well, React doesn't really give you anything out of the box to start with. It stays out the way. It says, this is how we are going to render things to the UI. Um, well, the fact that it renders anything to UI is a side effect, but it's mm. a way of managing state to present something to the user. And that's all it is. Um, beyond that, it's up to you how you want to create your framework, how you want to get data to and from the server, and things that just kind of stays out of the way. So it's not even, it's even more lightweight than, say, Knockout, which was one of the first of these kind. Um, y- yes. Yeah. I mean, it does give you the two way data binding and things, yeah. and it's kind of a little bit more low level, um, a little bit hands off. It kind of, lets you get things done. Okay. And then react.js.net is the tool that you can use. What yes. does this do? Yeah. So, unfortunately, exactly. um, I don't really work with react.js.net. Uh, um, okay. I've kind of gone to the dark side. I'm just fully uh, um, a web developer just now. Right. Front end engineer, I think the job title is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing, Facebook seems to have a love affair with C Sharp as a language um, yeah. and as a platform. I've always, as a .NET developers, have always gotten some first class tools and support from Facebook developers. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of social um, apps and things. And there's also the SDK was there. And React.js is a way to bring them closer together, your server side code with your components. Um, so you get a little bit of more of reuse where you can define and pass data more easier, easily to your UI. So you get the, I think it's, uh, the buzzword is what, isomorphic or universal yeah, apps. Right. It's a good word, isomorphic. Yeah, yeah, we'll probably change it by the end of the year because we'll get <laughs> bored. <laughs> so so now we have three things, am I right? We have React, we have React.js, and we have React.js.net. Is that right? Um, no, it's all just React.js. React.js and, and, and React.js.net. Yeah. Those are the same thing? Yes. Okay. All right, good. So now that we've gotten that all of the way, um, how do you typically start when, you, when you're building a spa app with React? Um, so they pushed with a blog post that they have on their site called Thinking in React, mm-hmm. um, where you would potentially wireframe or design your UI and then start breaking that down into smaller components. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have, say, the, the classic uh, to-do list. You yeah. have a to-do list and you have a text box to start and things yeah. like that. So you break that down to your, view, to your view and then you have a form that manages your text box and then a list and then it will be broken down into smaller, smaller chunks. Right. And for us as .NET developers, um, we are in a unique position where not, this is not new for us. Mm. Um, there's a blog post uh, a couple of months ago to talk about React and it's the same way we used to do uh, UIs on desktops years and years ago, years ago. Sure. and then um, for ourselves as .NET developers it's more closer to home the exact same patterns that React uses are present in WinForms and WebForms Right. These patterns are underlined, that underline those tools, the same ones that are underlined in React. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so as a .NET developer, we are in a new position where we've used these patterns. Yeah. We know the problems that are going to come from sure. them, state management, yeah. um, coupling, testing. We've dealt with them all before. Sure. And one of the issues with web, web forms was the view state. We're replicating state, so it's at a lot, wrong layer. But with the UI, we have state. It's there. Right. And um, so you don't have to do that. So it takes away so many of the issues that we encounter with web forms. Right. So it makes it more natural for a .NET developer to move into the so React. Your typical backend is an MVC backend, then. Um, Fortunately for myself, just now my backend is uh, Java. Okay. Um, but essentially, it would be really sexy. It doesn't matter what your backend technology is. Sure. As you talk to something, you're going to get your um, your data back and things. All right. I got you. Yeah, because when I generally think of React, I think of it's the view part of MVC. Yeah. Um, of ASP.NET MVC. Yeah. Well, or just of, of an the, MVC. Of the pattern format. of, a, of um, Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely is. Right. Um, so there is uh, infrastructure that you ideally want to put on top of that to match your development process to get data to and from your APIs and things. So yeah, now, there's also this sort of HTML, XML markup, like, uh, what is it called, JSX? JSX, yeah. Tell us about that. Um, it's really kind of nice. Um, so the objective of React is to allow for constructing UI in a declarative fashion. Okay. Uh, HTML is inherently declarative. So it makes sense that we're bundling into that. And because we're working with HTML, we're just generating custom tags and things. Then the DSL you have to learn, or the API you have to learn to get up on top of React is non-existent. It's not really like Angular or any of these other things where you have to learn their language yeah. to achieve things as opposed to it's HTML. Right. Hmm. So we have that tighter coupling, and it feels like it's the correct coupling. So obviously our biggest enemy sometimes is couplings. Um, mm-hmm. But having your HTML with the behavior that operates upon that just makes sense, of having it all located in one place. And you don't have to use JSX, but you should? You want to, you'll be uh, swimming upstream if you don't want oh, okay, to use yeah. it. Um, and at the end of the day, what it compiles to is function calls. I mean, right. that's the beauty of React is that the fact that it renders something to a UI is a complete side effect. It's a functional framework. Okay. And we know that from front of F-sharp and things that the only state, the best one of the best tools is a functional language. Mm-hmm. So what Facebook have done is we've delivered a declarative framework that works in a functional style that allows us to do better state management, which is the difficult, you said earlier, talking yeah. about is state management is the hardest thing that we have to do in the sure. UI. And what they've done is they've condensed it down to making it functional and the one-way data binding. So your data starts at the top and it just filters all the way down. And it becomes very clear of where your data flow is going to do. You reduce your bugs. There's no surprises if you do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the uh, tools that they push are kind of message-based as well. So you mess- send it off and the message comes out of there and it goes all the way up, goes to the server or whatever, and the data comes in and it filters down the top. There's no confusion around what's, uh, why is this an invalid state? Why is that data going there? Mm, okay. And the one-way data binding is built in? Or is this something you've got a particular set of tools you use um, No, it? there's just only one way to render data to the UI, okay. and then when you want that data to go back up, you just hook into on-click. There's the natural language oh, okay. of HTML, of, J- of Java, uh, JavaScript. Right. It's very um, bare bones and on top of JavaScript, um, which obviously lowers the, the learning curve. Um, sure. Kind of. But I think it's a, sort of a key point is to separate this idea of rendering data is one thing, updating it's another. Yes. We don't try and do them together. Ideally not, yes. Okay. Um, so, with the, given the view, it doesn't dictate how that should happen. Mm-hmm. Out of the box, you just get your. So it's not. It's not at all uh, opinionated. Um, no, not in regards to your framework and right. your infrastructure and things. That generally not. And one of the problems of spas, as we've talked about many times, is memory leaks. Yes. Is there? Are you? There isn't anything in there that's going to help us with that. Um, the whole framework, it's, well, the whole tool itself is designed around working with immutable data. 
Ideally, data. you should be using Immutable GS with your app. When you get your data back from your API, you should put it through Immutable GS and make Immutable. And so then you don't need to, what that does is it reduces your complexity because you have less if statements. Okay, you so immutable.js. Yes, Immutable.js. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so it's a frame, uh, tooling for come out of Facebook um, which makes data immutable. So instead of modifying data, you just throw away and create a new instance. Which works you, very well with the functional Absolutely. Style. So the whole yeah. the whole framework itself, the whole um, tool, I keep on referring to its framework, but the whole library itself pushes you towards functional programming. So Great. it pushes you towards working with immutable data. And then you, not only do you get the reduction of complexity, but you do get around memory issues and things because the data you had previously was just thrown away. Sure. Like that's gone. And we've got new data that represents your current state. Wow, that's great. That sounds sounds pretty wonderful to me. And in the end, memory leaks are about memory that's no longer in use but never released properly. Yeah. So if you're just not manipulating memory much, you have less chance of leaking. It's never. Right. I, I can't imagine it's perfect, no. but it seems like a technique that's going to be more resilient. Yes, and because of the very strict way that the data flows, you can easily identify where there is potential for memory leaks or where we're potentially holding on to data and things mm. like that. Mm -hmm. Because you're heavily reducing the complexity and your things like cyclomatic complexity. And if there's less branching, there's less conditions. So your UI codes get simpler and simpler and simpler. In theory. I just like the way that you, you I mean, you express, lots of folks complain about the complexity of React and you're approaching it from a point of view of this is actually simpler. Yes. Um, so essentially, if you do, if you follow the pattern that it pushes you towards, is your entire application should be made of composable composite components. Mm -hmm. That should do one thing, do one thing well. Right. And that would maybe a link or a something or whatever. And then your testing is your your test for that. Your TDD because we all should be writing tests. Right. And things is you put data in and something comes up. It's a pure function. Right. So the point of a component, the objective of a component is to create a pure function. And then the that's all is ignore the fact that it has HTML in it. Ignore the fact that it renders something to the UI. Those are side effects, pleasant side effects, but they are side effects. We're Useful dealing in a side pure function. Too. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But then the day it renders down to a series of method calls. Right. If you look at compiled JSX code, it's just chainings of method calls, functions, mm -hmm. and it's a functional. And so if you do it properly, you end up with these components that have no state. I mean, generally when I give, teach this or doing presentations around React, the last thing I talk about is the state, that you right. can't hold state instead of a, of a component. You don't really want to do that. But if you do it properly, all your data comes uh, outside in. Right. And so you have this pure function now, which you know exactly what's going to come, go in it and what's going to come out. Like, and so if you use like Redux or Flux and things like that, so we'll have a hook that comes out. So the Redux is a better library than the Flux. Right. And um, so they gives you a dispatch method. Everyone knows how a dispatch method goes. You give it a message and away it goes. And yep. that goes and comes out. So you have a very strict contract that your components comply to. And because you know the surface area that to get data in and out of it, it heavily reduces your complexity. And if you start having if statements or 800 line components, then you're very much doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I would think if you get there, if you, yeah. you're fighting the framework. And we, yeah. we hear this story a lot, actually. It's like people tend, they come with their baggage mm. and try and apply what they've developed before to a new library and they complain the library is wrong. Yes. Mm. Yeah, so I guess that comes down to people don't really like change. Um, <laughs> and there's only one constant in life, and that's change. Right. And for change, ourselves, change is good. Uh, change you is go amazing. You go first. Yeah, I mean, I, I love change. Um, these guys at the front row tell you, like, I'll rewrite everything if I get my hands on it. <laughs> <laughs> but the important thing about change, I mean, there is a big thing around React, is, and a big thing about SPAs and front-end UIs is net framework fatigue. Right. Mm. I and mean, just now, like, there's... Every day there's a new framework and things. Right. Hey, Rockheads. 
As Richard and I travel the world for the Azure World Tour, we're telling people all about our dev-centric friends at Stackify. They've been awarded PC Magazine Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating, and I quote, The depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshine the other products in this category, end quote. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers, which is why PCMag's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. Well, and I, I, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but you've mentioned four or five of them so far yeah. as part of what it clearly is a tribe of libraries that work together for this sort of component-based approach of rendering a web page. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but there you go. I mean, yeah, you've got these tools that work together. So, Use I mean, them. for me, the reason why there are so many UI frameworks is because as a C-sharp developer, I'm working as a full staff and things like that, and then moving to primarily a front-end developer. Mm -hmm. As we come back to the main, the root cause of it is change. Right. And people change their minds. Yep. And the clients change their mind. They never know what the specification is until you put it in front of them. You go, you know what? That is completely wrong. Like, yep. That is completely wrong. And do you know who has the brunt of that? The front end developers. Mm -hmm. Sure. We have to deal with that. So that's why we have, that's why we have such churn on the front end is because we are hitting the clients first and we feel the pain of a dodgy framework coupling us or slowing us down or right. whatever. Because as soon as your UI starts, so it doesn't matter if the back end is complete perfect, the features are done. If you don't deliver features for the client, mm. then everybody else suffers for it. Yeah. Especially the front end guys, we could take it out and shot. Well, and it's super easy to build a service model that reflects domains really well. Yeah. But that is not how people want that data presented. Oh, absolutely not. And right. you get human nature and then you get people saying, oh, different, different goals for the UI. And she works with the domain experts in the group of people. Somebody wants that there because of this reason. This person wants that. And as a front end developer, you're sitting there in the middle and you say, okay, well, I need to react as fast as I possibly could. But I also have 15 browsers to deal with. Yeah. So many elements. And, and then one of them API just doesn't work. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, we're luckily like, where I just now, we have a very strict browser support. We don't even support Edge. Like, so, I mean, but that's you're not alone. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so we, I, mean, I thought everybody supported Edge because Edge is everything yeah. to all Edge, Edge lies to you. All right, CSS. It, you, do you have a, a, a? Is this part of the tribe, or do you just do it by hand, or what's the story? With um, so I cheat with the CSS, and I have some. I built a team that has better CSS skills than myself, and okay. so we're inheriting a project just now. So we are using SAS and things. Right. For myself, we want to move to the bundling the the CSS with the JavaScript. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great on uh, React Native. As there's a great a post on there around why we're using inline styles. There's a great presentation there as well, the justification of it. And for me as a developer, compliant object oriented principles, it makes sense. Yeah. Like we bundle all these things. But for me, I just had to speak to my front end of a proper, like real front end guys, mm -hmm. like not just mm -hmm. me faking it. Um, around this, like, is this, is this what we want to do? And, um, because it is such a departure, we are in lining styles, we are writing it in JavaScript, and we can't cascade it easily in things. And he would just say that this is, this just makes perfect sense. This is what John, yeah. I think, was saying in his comment as well. It's like suddenly they realized it's just not cascading anything anymore. Yeah. The styles are bound to the component, and that's enough. Mm. Mm. And a good thing about the, the React presentation is it breaks it down in a way of um, things around it, not as CSS, but as 
what it is is if say there's a variable. So every time you define a class name or an ID, that's now a global variable you have in your application. Right. And sure. it gets nigh impossible to overwrite that. Or but it can, but then you use important tags and things and then the proper front end guys will shoot you. And there is things and there's, <laughs> there's a lot of shooting going on in your company. Um so yeah, so it does make perfect sense because you now know the styling that you have that you have that the show's going to appear. Mm. And we get around the cascading issue around um, using a feature of React you want to generally avoid, but it's the context, which is kind of relatively new. Redux and things like that. The thing that they just started documenting, it's been there for a while, and it's a way for you to pass the same data down the, the tree and things. So if you really do need to have cascading styles, there is ways to, to, to get around it. So this idea of the context, um, is this like a, a state bag or something, or what is it? Um, uh, kind of, yeah. So it's just a way of you can globally into um, something that shoot across all components. Right. Um, I haven't used it in anger yet, so I'm potentially not the best person to <laughs> devil into it. And so I think the general consensus is don't use it. Yeah. It's uh, oriented okay. for tooling and frameworks. Um, I guess if you're going to write your own framework around, like, this is how we're going to do React, this is how we're going to pass data and things like that, then you would look into it more. Well, it um, seems sort of to bumping up against the whole global variable thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. So it does, it does go against the, um, the underlying principles of what they want to do with, achieve with React. Yeah. And is block element modifiers on your radar as well? This is something that the, the, the listener was... Yeah, I got a link the other day there for that, and um, I just looked at it confused and said, what, I really need to learn? <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll fix your JavaScript for you if you can write all my CSS. Oh, for nice, me. Um, nice. But no, and for them, I guess it doesn't make sense. I mean, um, so in a couple of places I've worked, the... The CSS sometimes hasn't been structured structured in a reusable way. Mm, mm. Um, I guess I don't know. That I've seen CSS structured in a reusable way ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, reusability is a fallacy. So yeah, I mean, we get, we get to too. that. Um, uh, but but yeah, just actually, let's just say, like, the idea of maintainable CSS sounds. You know, it's like postal service, right? Like, <laughs> you put the two words together, but does it really mean anything? Well, you know, you start out with a bootstrap template, and you end up with something entirely different. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, bootstrap's just a way for a, for a developer to punt on style. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, what, the, the selling point of the bootstrap and these frameworks and things, that's consistency. Right. right. As we have, you don't need to make a decision of, okay, so what's our naming convention? What do you do with this situation? What do you do with this situation? Right. There's consistency to frameworks that so takes decisions away for you. Sure. Yeah. Um, but then, you are working in a fr set of frameworks, so your ability to extend that and to modify it are then limited. Mm. Because CSS isn't really one of those things that's open for extension close for whatever. Like mm. You have to go in and start modifying it, or you have to rewrite it, overwrite it, and then we get to the issue of this thing is overridden in this context, we apply this class to it, then we have this, and then things start getting more and more and more complicated. Sure, yeah. But I mean, yeah, but as a developer, everything should be gray or blue. Uh, and you want to introduce these colors, this is madness. Why is this not green? Is blue? that just Why because so? you live in Scotland? Uh, no, I think it's only two Everything's colors. Gray or blue. <laughs> you can't go that wrong with green blue. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. All right. So, what are some of the other magic of React JS that we haven't talked about? Um, I guess we would like to talk about the framework fatigue issue and the yeah. issue around that React only gives you the view layer. Right. I mean, for me, this is a good thing and a bad thing because it doesn't dictate to you how you should build your app. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're in a situation where you're potentially putting together lots of applications or you're going to have a long-lived application, your decisions you make at that point in time could, a year's time, have huge impacts. Haunt yeah. you? Indeed, indeed, because... 
uh, writing maintainable code is a lot harder than a lot of people think. Sure. And so for myself, I like the fact that it doesn't bring you a framework because I, then I can make those decisions. Sure. And the easiest way to deal with change is to isolate it, is to use object turnitin patterns and principles to properly layer and isolate your code to areas of change. Um, I always feel that these people are complaining around, like, oh, this gives you no framework and things that. They just think, well, do you have a tools repository? Where you'd, over your years, you'll build up your tools of, like, how you get stuff to and from your, your APIs or how you do your JavaScript. I mean, hopefully, I mean, a lot of people probably use jQuery to get data to and from and things like that. Um, but hopefully, you've got tooling that's around that type of thing. So you do have your tools. And then if you do build in such a way that you can easily change stuff, mm -hmm. and there is there is patterns out there designed around and changing things. Mm -hmm. And you, you earlier you touched upon the way we're moving to where configuration is in code and things mm -hmm. that we sure. use. A, you use a configuration DSL. On the node side of things and C sharp things, we're beginning to replicate it as well as the concept of middlewares, which is just an implementation of the open close principle. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that kind of thing. So you, 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 we want to slot into that. You want to use these patterns that JavaScript uses, the promises and things like that. So then you can begin to decouple them. Right. And in the same with there is some famous like reflux and redux and things like that. And the underlying prints, there's patterns to them. It's like a message oriented architecture. React itself is a state machine. Mm. And if you're aware of the underlying patterns, then you know how to, well, you should in theory know how to avoid the impact of change or the pain of too much change is to use those seams that you have because ideally you're, you're testing everything so you yeah. should minimize the impact and then when you build the application and hopefully you have the retrospective and a technical retrospective where you go okay this tool worked well this is the infrastructure we built around the tool so we're going to pull that out and capture, yeah. capture that and make that reusable nice. and distribute that between projects and you should constantly evolving evolving your code base to create this maintainable thing um, you should be doing metaprogramming to analyze your code base you need to be having a solid build process that supports being able to swap these things and out um, for myself that's what a primary role of the lead developers is to lead the team on these technology choices and to build that tool and that infrastructure around it so you mitigate the impact of change. I mean, myself and probably still a lot of people here do like change, but a lot of people, a lot of developers don't like change. They just want to know, like, mm. why did they just say it's going to be seen? It didn't think so. Right. So you can get around that by creating your own abstractions, thin abstractions that are based on sound principles and designs that other people have already built upon. And being C-Sharp developers, we've been here, we've done that. I mean, sure. know all of the issues potentially going to hit. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, you guessed it. It's time to make my spa faster, less complex, and completely immutable by replacing it with an animated GIF. Awesome. <laughs> what? <laughs> That'll work. It just won't work. <laughs> Actually, it's time to give away a Telerik dev credit. Come on. It was a little funnier than that. Give us some credit. <laughs> It'll work great in the CDN, too. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant genius. Uh, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have. JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Build the mobile apps you've always wanted to build. Use the NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript inside of Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Nice. Get started for free at nativescript.org. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Praveen Goji. Congratulations, Praveen. 
No golf clap here. Full Real on, claps. Full on claps. And Praveen just won the Telerik DevCraft Collection, a big pile of awesome from our sponsor, Telerik. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, Chris. If you had $5,000 US, <laughs> which we guess is about, what, 3600 pounds, something like that? Around that, depending on the yeah. exchange rate. What um, would you buy? <laughs> this question has kept me asleep because I'm not a gadget guy. All right. So, um, right I was going to make it up. So, like, you know, I would buy some awesome gadget, but I would spend $5,000 on lots and lots of books. Even oh. in the Kindle. Paper books? Paper, paper books. Paper wow. books? Paper books. Why, you, why do you hate trees? Because I need to exercise. Uh, did I? <laughs> <laughs> um, because the good thing about books is the age with you. And I have a really mm. bad habit of giving away all my software developer books. And so I have, have them all again That's as well. That's a bad as, habit? Well, yeah, because I don't have them anymore. Oh, well, I thought you made your old ones that you're not eating anymore. <laughs> no, unfortunately, the new ones. And oh. so, uh, yeah. You know, um, the great thing about keeping all your books in your Kindle is they're so much easier to ignore. Yeah, I trip off over the, the pile of books on my way to bed. And I'm like, you know, I should really probably start reading yeah. those things. You, yeah. you trip over your Kindle, it's not a Kindle anymore. It's just yeah. a bit of plastic broken. Yeah. <laughs> I've come, so, I'm so dependent on my Kindle now that on more than one occasion, I have left it on an airplane and ordered one before I've left the airport to replace <laughs> it. Maybe I'll get it back. Maybe I won't. I don't care. Need Kindle. Yeah, but then I was in Thailand recently and ran out of books. So I went to second-hand bookshops and bought a whole bunch of random books. And they were aged. They, people had notes them and things. Were and they computing like, books? Um, no, they were kind of. They were Aspinoff. So that kind of counts as a <laughs> <laughs> And it was, it was nice. Obviously, I had to carry on 10 books in a backpack after that point in time. Mm -hmm. um, but it's good because you've, you've now gotten something that somebody else cared for at one point in time and oh, read. Oh, hopefully. Like, and then the book that ages, ages with you. So you know the tendency of like when it's, that It's page all well things. and fine until three quarters of the way through the book. There's two pages stuck together you can't get apart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And you don't want to know why they're stuck together like that, but you also know you cannot finish reading and the book. And it's always the most <laughs> inconvenient <laughs> point in the book. some too. gloves, put it in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's, you know, $5,000 worth of used paper books. You could buy a bookstore for that. That's a lot of books. Yeah. A retirement plan. They're yeah. They're going to come back fast. You just wait for the next bookstore to go broke and pick up the whole place. <laughs> why don't you just open a library? You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this conversation because I feel like it makes me start thinking in terms of, have we ever really had reusable web pages? Like, it's almost an oxymoron. Like, what really happens is you get good with jQuery. You know how to build a page with it now. Mm -hmm. So you get good at using jQuery over and over again, but you almost never use what you had on a previous page. Does it... I get the sense that React is allowing us to break out these individual components so that you're you're actually building up a set of tools specific to your set of apps yep. so that you're quicker at changing web pages around the way people expect. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, so it works on the it's more composition over inheritance. Right. You're composing your application. 
Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're coming back to a component is at the end of the day a pure function. Hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully, it should be a pure function. And you just you're just composing the app, so it just becomes. I mean, the whole it's turtles the whole way down. It's just all function calls on the way down. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got the, the pleasantness of the JSX on top of it. Right. But under the hood, that's just all function calls, and mm-hmm. it is it's just a composite of function calls all the way down, which. Um, it yeah. makes things easier to um, to understand. Well, so, it, how much reusability do you actually get out of a typical project? Um, um, hmm. <laughs> so, we are getting a lot of reuse because we're a form of our data. So, we're getting a lot of reuse of, sure. of that. Um, in theory, you should be doing a proper separation of concerns. Your business logic should be isolated away from the components as well. Right. Um, so, and because your data is coming in, from the top, you've got no coupling to anything external to it. Mm. So when you should get more reuse. Right. Um, but as, but as, it, it sounds like you still need some diligence to make sure you, that domain-specific stuff isn't creeping into those components. Um, yes. You want to keep your components as dumb as possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> we are, we're getting more and more powerful frameworks and things we can do far more in the client. It's amazing, mm. but we bloody shouldn't. Yeah. We really really shouldn't just because we can put that logic there doesn't mean that it belongs there we ideally we should be getting relatively dumb flat data from our api and then doing as simple as possible things on the front end to make it more reusable and if it does need some uh, complex computation in the client side then we push that out as a request it goes to another class it does it all and then it's pushed back in the top and what about validation validation is we are pattern we've gone through just now is a flux um call so we want a text box that has it's, it's been constructed and things like that we right. pass in the validation um as a dispatch call and then that comes in and then the props that define whether it's validated or not comes down comes down on the front and mm. um, we don't do we do client we do server-side validation very late on a pipeline okay so you're not building validation on, onto those components at all then. um no it's separate we delivered validation information into the component yeah. but the component okay. itself does not is not responsible for validating right. itself the, yeah so the the shape of the validation is coming from the server yes but and and the client the component's able to Render it. It knows it. about it. Yeah, but we were passing it, it down. Yeah. Okay. And so, with we've had to write this by hand because we're using Flux mm-hmm. on the Redux side of things. There's a great open source project called Redux Forms, which does a lot of that for you. And um, it takes away the boilerplate of taking a data and out of control, and then gives you hooks to. Did you just say that you liked Redux better than Flux, but you're using Flux. Um, or is it Reflux? Yeah, I've been a brownfield project. Just okay. And 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 then can we all complain about the naming thing? Flux, reflux, and redux. redux really? Yeah. Woo. Well, you know what? I mean, there's the, the cliched. What's the hardest thing in software development? Naming. Yeah. Redux, reflux. Somebody was dropping acid. <laughs> <laughs> or bringing it back up. Maybe. Yes. Yes. I mean, we're on this. I mean, flux is the overall architecture makes sense of itself. You're doing kind of message-based, bus-based yeah. type things, and um, flux is a great reference implementation of it. Okay. Um, I, I've not allowed to refactor the stores and things that down any further, but when you start for getting the store and the actions in the dispatcher and you start refactoring to remove the duplicate code and the things that you start refactoring towards Redux. Mm, you get sure. to that point of where I'm just about to write Redux and it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> and as well, so as I've heard Dan Abarov who wrote, um, the Redux is a C-sharp developer at some point. And for me, it makes perfect sense, especially with JavaScript itself becoming 
more like C sharp with mm-hmm. uh, fat arrows, as they call them, or lambda expressions and things like that. Um, and we've been declarative and more functional since 2007 when Link dropped, when we had this more declarative way of things. So sure. the phenomenon makes more sense to make it more declarative. Sure. And the refactoring of the redux, flux into the redux, that makes sense of where they went with that. What do you wish JavaScript had feature wise right now? That's driving you crazy. Um, I would like more of the ES six and seven stuff in the in the browser, so we don't need a transpiler. It's a mm. better language. It's a better language, John. Yeah, I mean, for me, my first job, paid job, was writing a single page app in THTML in 1999. I mean, well, JavaScript for me is so you know pain. Up. I know very much pain. <laughs> I five point five. Oh. Was, oh, and I mean, it was great because it gave you so much out of the box, but yeah. then you just. So you can consider using it in Netscape. And we came, came along with them. I mean, for me, JavaScript is a great language. I mean, for sure. me, it's layered with C Sharp and design. Yeah. Um, but it is not a friendly language. It gives you enough to hang yourself and your relatives and your ancestors for five years <laughs> if you're not careful with it. And a lot of Somebody's going to get shot, <laughs> too, by the way. <laughs> Apparently. And a lot, of, a lot of that was around context around the this. Yeah. This keyword, and um, obviously they've now put tooling in, in in place to fix up the fat arrows, the lambda expressions, and things. So like you that. must be excited about ECMAScript seven. Yes, well, we were kind of already using it in anger with um, with the likes of Babel and our transpilers and things like that. Right. Um, so it's nice to just um, then the code that generates underneath it's okay-ish. Um, Somebody said that they were going to get an async and await in ES seven. Yes. Maybe the, is it in ES seven? Oh, yes. great! Wow, how about that? That would yeah. be crazy. <laughs> um, where do you fall on the whole web component story then? Because you're obviously enjoying your UI components. Mm-hmm. Um, so the web components is an interesting because on the surface, it looks exactly like React. Yep. But the issue with, there's some great blog posters. Um, I'm not sure if they blogged it, but there's an email list of React. Somebody asked the question, where web components fit into this? And it's pretty much web components aren't declarative. They're oh, very they're imperative. So the API itself doesn't match with the objectives of React. Oh. Right. So there, so there are, they do do have uh, on their documentation a page around building a, basically a bridge, a proxy that does that does that for you. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, we'll be probably staying away from web components and staying more the root of how React does, where it's uh, you say your concern that's important. It's not browser concern because we've learned, which we've learned by now already, but we really want to not rely on a browser because mm. then the browser is like a database or a mail server. It's an external third-party dependency. Mm-hmm. We want to lower our coupling to as much as possible. And then when your actual your library itself or your what you're producing is now that dependent on browser features and um, you're potentially going to be into a world of hurt but they're all supposed to be standardized they all have the same features everything's standardized especially <laughs> safari yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's, it's not, it, i mean we don't fix things we just make new standards to patch over the last thing we that's broke, right so. <laughs> Uh, there was an XKCD like that. It's like, there's 15 different specifications for this. We should standardize <laughs> them. Now there's 16, 16. specifications for this. Yes, but um, that keeps us in a job, so. <laughs> you know, it's to and fro, like, it's the or evil. What are your conventions about uh, keeping components separate? Separate JS files? Um, what's your, how do you organize them? Maybe on the disk and all uh, the that. The physical distribution yeah. of it. Um, so I leaned more towards a feature-based um, physical segregation. Mm. So you'd have, instead of having actions, stores, components, whatever, and things, that would be broken into, you'd have a directory called features, and say that would be authentication and um, profile. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd logically break it down into areas of feature. 
Um, so that means, again, we're coming back to the issue of discoverability and maintainability. Yep. <clears throat> so you can go to that one directory and see every single thing that has to do with that yeah. feature. And also, this helps you isolate responsibilities as well. Because if you're working on a feature and you're working on a feature that's in that folder and in that folder, and you realize, well, this isn't one single feature. Mm. These potentially are merged, or we need to get our specifications sorted, mm. or our solution design, or whatever. Um, so that leads you towards again to think more logically around the physical separation of your components yeah. and your components and your infrastructure, your stores, how you get data from to and from the API and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it does generally increase maintainability and reuse and because to reuse that, all you need to do now is pick up that directory and throw it anywhere else, put it into a Git repository, use Napper to have an npm dependency or whatever. Right. It's easy, far easier to move it around and, and easier to test and isolation as well. Yeah. I don't know if we talked enough about the testing side of this whole no, thing. No, we so haven't. What do tests look like when you're working with React? Um, great. <laughs> For the start, we can write well, tests. that's all we need, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Been great. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot less lower friction because rendering stuff to UI is a side effect. Right. So you're not actually trying to meter the UI render. No. And you basically, because you're just getting function calls. Right. That's why we have, unfortunately, Jest um, for the auto-mocking. Um, in the C Sharp land, we discovered that auto mocking about five years ago was a very, very bad idea. Oh, um, wait a minute. My framework fatigue is creeping up <laughs> on me here. Uh. I'm looking up Jest, painless JavaScript unit testing. It is no, painless that, until it's not painless. It just feels like a lie. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty good it's, it is auto mock and, and there until is, it isn't right? until it isn't yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's problems around npm3 but we won't get into that um, <laughs> so test the testing story is very pleasurable and it's one of the primary reasons why I jumped ship that the fact that we can now completely test our UI um, because you know the inputs and the outputs, right? And you don't need to talk to a browser. You're not dependent on a browser and things mm. like that. You then have you can test it in isolation. We have that, and as we've had testing runners already for JavaScript for a couple of years. We've got Mocha, Jasmine, and all these things. Mm. We can even run these tests inside Visual Studio and with um, Resharper and things. Mm -hmm. And um, so the testing story is substantially better. Um, we badly needed it. it but was at some point here, the rendering matters. The browser matters. Yes. Um, so what you get is you can shallow render your UI now. Okay. And what you actually can then assert on that is the actual HTML that's rendered. Right. And then because we're all in JSX that's going to be transpiled into method calls, then your test can actually have an assertion that has HTML in it. And mm. then you expect it. So you can actually assert the exact markup that your component is going to render oh, by having the, that markup there. But still, until you look at it, it's not shippable, right? I mean, somebody's got to run it. Unfortunately, on. yeah. So we do need to have yeah. them. That's but what it, BAs are for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm also yeah. excited at this idea of what you're really doing now is you're separating out different classes of tests around the UI. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's this sort of idea of like validate the functionality of the component. Does it do what it's supposed to do and so mm -hmm. forth? And you can even validate the rendering of an individual component. But mm -hmm. at some point, there is this sort of regression moment of, right, well, let's see how they all work together. Yes, the integration. Right. Yeah. That, that integration point is really... A, you That's know, the key, another isn't piece. it? Yeah, we'll just turn off Jest and render your top component and see what happens. Right, see what you get. See yeah. what you get. And, and because you, again, know your input has come in and out and things like that, um, and if you're using Flux or Redux or things like that, then you have a very set and obvious way of how you get data into mm. your application. Mm -hmm. So that means proxying or mocking your API is ridiculously easy now. Right. Mm -hmm. You Then you can do your end-to-end -end tests 
on a completely isolated UI inside Phantom with your API disconnected because you know the inputs, you know the API calls. Well, you don't even need your actual production store there. I am pretty you sure you just dropped in a library on us there. <laughs> Phantom? <laughs> What's that? Phantom? Uh, Phantom JS. It's a headless browser. Okay. Um, so what we what we do is Richard's been typing I, a lot. I, I'm <laughs> not letting any of these go past. I'm collecting them all because they just keep coming out your mouth. I haven't heard of half of these. <laughs> no, these are all. A lot of these are new to me. Wow. Um, so what that means is because you have a very strict way of getting data in and out of your application, you have that you have that seam now mm-hmm. to get that data in there. So one of the things we're investigating doing is we and um, more tools and coming out. But we've got data coming to and from the API. We're grabbing that on our client machine, on our machine, like our dev machine or whatever. And then we're persisting that ourselves into Elasticsearch instance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means as we're developing our app, we're recording the data that's going to and, to and forwards and things like that. So we've now got this collection of data. And as we touched on earlier, it's like data is amazing. I mean, yeah. you want more and more data you have, the more you can do, the more options sure, you have. Yeah, sure. So yeah. we're collecting that data. So we're going to... Perf- profile of like this data that's coming out the APL calls and things like that we now know the path that we need to input to test this functionality or whatever we've got that recorded so now we can just take that and then replay it for the app yeah if you use things like Redux sort of like a time pop- machine exactly and that's it and if you hook that into Redux we don't obviously put this data collection out of the box but you can build in your hook then you go okay so you go my end to end developer here's the data you need and here's how you input it and this is the button you press to mm. make the UI run Mm. Then now then there's an issue of assertions on top of that and these end to end guys have got their own tooling and um, I don't really know that much about that side of it but we, then we can put the app in a state that they need to te- assert our UI works mm. without having the external dependency of these external of these other APIs for sure and um, yeah. so then we can CI it we can run our end to end tests on CI on every commit now um, obviously mm. the proper end to end integration smoke tests will take hours and hours to run potentially um, but if we can take that small segment and run it against the exact same data set then we have another layer in our testing triangle um, that's easy to run and can continuously run and we can reuse all that yeah. data CI on UI you're crazy it's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic yeah well and uh, I, I admit you still got a gate there I mean at some point somebody's got to do an integration test and say does this stuff still all render together yeah, um, but odds are if it rendered together once and you're only making changes in the component your risk is low yep so yeah, because we now we have in theory we've got everything tested the whole the whole stack. Mm-hmm. So we've got our low low level unit tests that asserts the behavior of our components in any context that right. we're doing, and then we have all the way up to our UI tests that run continuously and things like that. So now we're in this position where you know what, give me some change because I want to test all these tests. Yeah, like, yeah. we're going to fail something, uh, whatever, and then you you want things to change. So what browsers are you leaving behind? All of them. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we can, we can all have, so I've been mean, last, what was it, Wednesday, I had a couple of beers to the memories of having to support i6 to 10. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, what you don't get out of the box of a fair reality, we're never going to get is progressive enhancement. Right. It's solving a different problem from what progressive enhancement is. And um, so what browser support do we have with React is, I believe, all the way to 8, because the people who are writing this framework is but one of the biggest websites in the face of the planet. When sure. you say eight, what do you mean by eight? I eight. I eight. Up. Oh, okay. And it works. Obviously, it needs to work because the entire front end of uh, Facebook is now written in React. Mm. And he kind of wants it to work in as many devices as he can. Sure. Right. Um, we've also got the React Native that's coming into the mix. which is Yeah, um, that's an interesting story and an interesting twist. Yes. Tell us about that. That um, was a better no framework just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so... Again, we're coming down to the chasing the holy grail of usability. Mm-hmm. 
And so it makes sense that obviously we've got the C sharp with Xamarin and Unity and things that we want to race it once, run it everywhere. I mean, we can thank Java for giving us that false Absolutely. hope. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, so the thing about React is React Native is um, its own React. It doesn't compile like Cutover or something like that. It's actually you run your React code within the uh, Java JavaScript runtime within the device on a different thread. So that means it's very responsive. It's not going to be blocked by any thread UI things and stuff like that. And it's also all in JavaScript. Now, the issue that so they So are we ha- talking essentially a PhoneGap Cordova type, type solution? Kind of, but yeah, it stays out of the way. Um, I've never had a good time with Cordova. Um, and it's all, it's, all re- it's all in React. There's no external uh, tooling and things. Like it's all component-based and things like that. And it's almost the same code that you would use in your web, your web app. And mm. um, they're working on that abstraction just now. And um, there's we introduced a React DOM, which is extracting the DOM away, and then you can swap it in and out. So, so it it fills the same need that uh, PhoneGap and Cordova yes. fill. So it must have access to the low level environment, yes, right? Yes, it's getting there. Yeah. yeah, it's getting it's, there. Yeah, and okay. so they released the uh, um, iOS one before um, the tail end of last year, mid last year. Mm. And the Android one is just relatively new themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are building, they're building up the native hooks that they need at this point in time. Because they have mm. the apps in production that are using React Native. Mm. So I'm pretty sure Mark Zuckerberg said HTML5 was too slow. Wow. I think Facebook's too slow. So there. <laughs> <laughs> but you remember way back when they had the, they had the, um, I think it was a Cordova app, even. And it, yeah, for, yes. For Facebook. Yeah. And then he eventually said, no, we had to go native. This also was too uh, slow. Yeah, it was. And then, and then there were folks who really knew that platform well who said, you could have made it faster if you'd done this, this, and this. And now they're building something else entirely. I wonder how much of that was just your standard memory leak based on <laughs> object-oriented programming. You know, yeah. And, well, this seems to come back to over and over again. You really do have to learn the library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. That Facebook app was just so big, and there's yeah. they tried to do everything, and you know that that's another piece of the puzzle. I think the potential the issue with the card over and things that is it runs inside the browser harness, yeah. right? And um, whereas React Native doesn't. Okay, so let's continue on that. So line. the UI is native. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, you eventually get native UI, and the actual JavaScript is runs in its own its own thread. There's no real browser. You're really not bound to the browser. You know, so, there's no browser at all. So that's why that's why they've had to break out the React DOM because there is no browser there. You can't reuse a text box on React Native and uh, React Web at this point in time. Hmm. So is it just for Android then? It's for iOS and Android. And iOS first, and so then so essentially, Android. it's more like Xamarin with JavaScript and HTML. In other words, it compiles directly to native code. Mm, it doesn't compile. There's doesn't no compilation compile. step. It runs oh, yeah, the I'm JavaScript. I'm really confused. It runs the JavaScript. So you said it was native code, but it's the, not compiled. The UI elements are. Um, so they've got bridges um, that the your components that are native things will eventually delegate to. But in you take your code, you only ever deal with JavaScript, and it's only ever JavaScript that runs your code. It's, it's not compiled into Swift or Objective C or anything I see. like that. Okay. It's actually so, JavaScript that runs. So on let's the say a list in an Android app or an iOS app, a list. If this was a PhoneGap app, that would be an HTML list. Yes. Rendered by the browser. Um. Yeah. Well. I, 
uh, React list. Uh, and the, React their abstraction would, a component, yeah, that then will render the relevant native. The actual native th yeah. that you would get in a native app. Yes. I get it. Yeah, that's interesting. That's wow. really cool. Um, so you lose the, that compilation step and where things can go. I'm not sure if Cardova still does, but you need to push to them for them to build it for you mm -hmm. and things like that. So you're losing that infrastructure part. Uh, that, that, that depends on external service. Mm. Um, you just download it. There's a runner and a packer. And a packer that runs React Native is just a, a JavaScript packer. I replaced mm. it with Webpack. Mm. Um, so then you can have your build process the same as your web app then chase the magic dragon of reusability. Um, so uh, what do you know about Telerik native script? Is this in a similar, it's obviously going for the same idea. Um, I, I don't I know do how it works. I not though. know anything about the Telerik um, native script. Ionic um, framework Ionic. is another one in that realm. Yes. Um, no, I haven't done too much with um, the um, native devices. Yeah, it'd be interesting to dive into the, how, they, how they each work. Mm. You know, All trying to solve the same native phone problem right. but yeah. still being cross-platform with javascript and the fact that there's so many of them and so many people are trying so many ways is clear proof we don't know yet yeah <laughs> we're trying yeah when it comes back again to write once run everywhere yeah and thing we just because at the end of the day we're just want to write less codes or yes. want to write more fun codes and I'll just have to repeat ourselves every time um, and especially if you do repeat so we've got the issue you touched on earlier around one handheld device has a certain feature set and the other one doesn't. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, where's the business? How does that, is that business case? Like, where does that come in? It's not a technical issue. Mm -hmm. Um, of keeping these, these things the same. And if we get the code reuse, then we spend less time, less bugs. We can get more things done and deliver better. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. So, uh, Chris, what's next for you? What's in your, what's in your inbox? And my inbox is continuing on with React and mainly found the CSS route and seen what tooling around that. Um, and the interesting thing is build processes around JavaScript because yeah. it's still fairly new of um, putting together how we're going to deliver these projects better and have well, a stronger The idea build of continuous delivery on the JavaScript side, it's a whole show. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. a whole show. We haven't even uh, except gone the there only yeah, Except if the only comment is just, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's obviously doing he's it. He's trying. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because there's less, I mean, the VNet stuff is really interesting to me mm -hmm. um, because yeah. we can move into more script in our environment of DevOps stuff. Mm -hmm. And ideally, what you want to be able to do is, I mean, we already can do in the .NET side of things. So if you check out your project, you run your build and your app's running. There's a blog post on um, on on Lost tech, Techies and mm -hmm. um, from the guys from Austin, things like how many it was, who has who has this metric called time to login. To the, 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 for how long it takes you to commit your code from new to logging into the app or some kind of UI interaction. Right. Mm. And also you want to keep that as short as possible because you want to run your code, you want it to build anywhere, you want it to just like, because you never know when anything's going to break and you want to deploy it. Yeah, the sooner you can get it out there and, and actually have somebody on it, the sooner you know if you've messed it up. Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. And then the DevOps and the infrastructure comes into that now. And um, whereas we can script everything, we can say, okay, you want a whole uh, app, well, then just run the script and I'll get the code or install your infrastructure, do your services, and if you next. And those things that's already been um, there. We're catching Well, up. we clearly have to have you back for another show. <laughs> that's great. Give a big hand to Chris Canal, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Don
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a type of